0: L.A. Times supporters include HBO, presenting Game of Thrones. Summers span decades. Winners can last a lifetime. In this epic Season 7 of this colossal hit, the people of Westeros fight for their seat on the Iron Throne. Winner is here, and beyond the Great Wall that protects them, a forgotten evil has returned. Emmy eligible for Outstanding Drama Series and all other categories.
1: For LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. And this is the second in a, what's going to be sort of a seasonal series of of pieces that we're going to be doing. You might think of as the Emmy's Guide for Dummies, uh, meaning me. And so joining me to sort of explain a little bit more about sort of like the process and the meaning of television's biggest award. I'm joined here today from some of my colleagues on the television
2: desk.
3: Robert Lloyd, I am a TV critic.
2: Lorraine Olley, I am also a TV critic. Greg Braxton, I'm the acting TV editor.
1: And so maybe as a place to get started in the sort of the current landscape. And you can tell me, like, are we in the post-peak TV era? Like, where are we at right now? And what does an Emmy mean within that current landscape? Lorraine,
2: do you think the meaning of an Emmy has changed? To answer the first question, I don't think we're post-peak. I think we are still in the peak it's, I don't know, can we mix flood and peak? I don't know, whatever. It's the flood on the peak. love um, off the peak. Yes. So, I mean, the meaning of an Emmy, I, I think it has because, just simply because you have so much more to look at and you have such a wide variety of types of shows and you also have like a billion different platforms. So when you're talking, you know, last year about like Hulu, winning for Handmaids for Best Drama. I mean, that's a streaming service. So I think it has changed the meaning of it. Now, Robert has feelings about award shows in general, so I don't know <laughs> if it ever meant much in well, the beginning Well, I mean, for you, what but... things mean
3: to me personally is different than what things mean to the world at large. I do think that winning an Emmy has been, at least since premium cable started distinguishing itself as a winner been a way to certify that you've arrived. And still, if a network gets, when streaming networks started to get awards, that was a big deal. It meant they're, you know, it's like Pinocchio becoming real. They're real stations now. So for them, it's great. And it still distinguishes a show or something is kind of, it just really means it's being noticed by the people that vote for Emmys. And whether that's because of really a lot of promotion. If you live in Los Angeles, you see billboards everywhere. That are hyping actors and shows to very specifically members of the television academy that drive around town and, and see these things and there 's all these FYC for your consideration events so there 's all this promotion, and everybody 's in it as to what it means, given the bulk of television shows, again, I just think it means that shows that certain venues are being noticed that weren 't obviously there 's more competition, so I guess that could mean something but I also feel that voters tend to just sort of go where they're comfortable, and it just sort of reflects that. Uh, as much as anything else.
4: I just think it used to mean that the cream of the crop would definitely get rewarded, but now there is just so much content, and I think it's much harder to break through. Is it about the quality of a show, or is it about the shiny toy that's putting forth the most promotion and having the most billboards and screenings and giving out gifts and all of that, and programs that I think might be considered good or even very good and worthy of consideration, are being lost in the shuffle. And I think that's kind of what's changed in the past couple of years. They only
3: give out a a limited number of awards, and a lot of those tend to go to the same people that won them in the years before. And if
4: I were an Emmy voter, I would just feel totally overwhelmed and ready to throw up my hands because it's like every single thing from something that's never going to get an award like Marlin, which is a, a sitcom on during the summer, is being pitched as worthy of Emmy consideration. And there's just so much—you only have so much hours in the day. How You guys have enough trying to keep up with this stuff, and it's—how much time can you devote to looking at what's worthy of an award?
2: Well, you know, I used to cover music quite a bit, and with the Grammys— As music started to fragment in a million different ways, the categories began multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. And there's a ton of them now. It'll be interesting. Will the Emmys maybe have to start doing that? Because I think television is kind of in a place that music was 15 years ago. It's in this great era but then you've got like about 17 different layers, some very niche shows, you know, some of the big stuff, some of the big stuff that is nichey. And so So there's just like a billion different ways that you can look at it. And I think the Emmys kind of haven't caught up with that in terms of the categories they have.
3: Best niche comedy on after 10 p.m.
2: Well, tell me a little bit there just as
1: as writers, Lorraine, we were talking about a little bit about this earlier, how do you grapple with the sheer volume of content? How much are you concerned that some great show is going to pass you by, whether because it's on at a weird time slot or it's not being promoted or now the fact that it might be on some platform, whether it's a channel or a streaming service that you're not necessarily a regular user of. What are you all doing to try to not miss things?
3: Coffee.
2: ADD drugs. Number one, we're kind of moving so fast in a way. I don't know if Robert would agree with this, but I think we're moving so fast in a way there's almost not time to kind of worry about, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, I'm missing this, I'm missing that. The beauty of television is that, you know, yes, there's, there's some series that are downloaded all in one go, but it continues. If it's a series, you know, it's not just the premiere. And if you don't get the premiere, you can hit it in the middle or you can get it at the end. There's also, you know, what I try to do is I know I cannot review everything. Both of us cannot review everything. I try to kind of look at it as in a larger cultural picture, Like we have all these series with military themes, or there was a lot of series coming out that were based in hip-hop moments. So kind of look at it as, here's a trend, here's a cultural moment, and fold it all in that way. Because if you try and review things like they did back in the day, there's just no way to do that. I mean, it's crazy making.
3: We review, I mean, I think the Times, I don't have the figures in front of me, but I think that there's certainly no daily paper that covers television as heavily as we do. I mean, we review TV like we're a trade and write about it like we're a trade. So, part of me really believes that reviews are a lot of the basis of what we do. Reviews can go off into the, you can talk about trends and social things and deeper meanings in a review, but a daily paper is partly a service and we're in a conversation with customers who are interested in knowing things and so I think that's kind of important. I do feel that television has gotten ahead of our ability to keep up with it. If Lorraine reviews a show, I might not see that show ever. I mean, it's quite possible that I will never get around to it. And even shows that I like that I've reviewed, I might only ever see the episodes that were sent out to review because I'm off to something else. What I do like to be a champion for when I get the time are things that are very kind of to the side of what are in the mainstream of the conversation, odd shows on the web or cartoons or weird personal documentaries. I think these are things that the shame of there being so much content is that a lot of this stuff just doesn't get covered by anybody. And I'm noticing, I don't know if you ever look at Metacritic. Metacritic is a kind of aggregation. And I'm noticing that there's more and more shows where they'll collect reviews to give it a, aggregate score, there's more and more shows where there's like four people have reviewed them and we're like one of the people that did.
4: And one of the, the other difficulties is that these critics have to keep on top of the new shows of which there's about five or six every week or at minimum. And then there's also the second and third seasons of shows that are coming back, which we should be on top of and if a show is getting better, we should know that if it's getting worse. But... There's just so much now, that's becoming more and more difficult to maintain some kind of consistency in monitoring series that are worth monitoring or not monitoring.
3: The ideal job in a, for a TV critic is like being at The New Yorker where you like write every three weeks <laughs> about a show, then you get deep about that show, and the rest of it, you just let, let it go its way.
1: To get back to the, to the Emmys, that last year's in the drama category, there was sort of an unusual number of new series that were nominated... What do you think is going to happen this year? Are those same shows, Handmaid's Tale, This Is Us, those kind of shows, are they going to become sort of like the new establishment and be sort of like nominated year in, year out the way a previous crop of shows were? Or do you think that we are in this sort of crazy mix-up phase where who knows what's going to end up being nominated? Will it be a mix of new and old shows? Or will it, do you think there's going to be a lot more new shows nominated again this year?
4: I think it's going to be, I don't know what you guys feel, but I think it's going to re- be a repeat of that cycle that these shows like Handmaid's, Mrs. Us, are now in the pole position. Yeah. Stranger Things, you know, things like that because they've got, like I said, they're the shiny toys and the relatively shiny new toys. So, I don't know if there's going to be a whole lot of new breakthroughs. People only vote for what they know. And
3: so people are watching shows that they like or shows that they've heard are good. Or they're voting for shows that they really haven't watched in a while, but they remember that they used to like. Or you know, there's a category for guest actor. And I always think that those things are, you know, it's like Bob Newhart. And I always think that people vote for those just because they like the person and not because they've even seen that episode. Yeah, I love Bob Newhart. Give me an Emmy.
1: Well, certainly last year, I think the two major category winners, Handmaid's Tale and Veep, it was easy to maybe try to make some sort of a political reading or a cultural reading as far as what it meant to recognize those shows. And I saw a number of people even like to say that people voted for Handmaid's Tale but maybe hadn't actually watched all of Handmaid's Tale. Do any of you think that the Television Academy is that conscious? Like, were they actually—was there a meaning behind those votes?
2: I think there probably is a consciousness about that. I mean, there was so much about the Me Too movement, about, you know, Time's Up, you know, women being left out, that it did lean that way last year. Now, that said, Handmaid's Tale is the best show ever. No, it's the best show out there, I think, right now, drama. So it's not as if, okay, there's women in it, and let's just vote this in. Sure, is it possible that some people didn't see it and voted for it? Yeah, but I mean... I think right now it's kind of impossible to consider this stuff in a bubble. There's so much news coming at you. Everything is so politicized. Everybody's got their tribes. And I don't know how you could look at something and only judge it inside of a hermetically sealed bubble where this stuff doesn't touch it. I think that's kind of impossible.
4: One thing I was really looking forward to is that I thought, Roseanne would really come in and kind of shake up things, especially in the comedy category, because it's old, but it was fresh. And I thought, wow, this is really going to really shake things up. And the fact that that's not going to happen, I don't know if they're going to fall back to the familiar, but I think Roseanne would have definitely been a front runner in several major categories. And it won't happen
3: for the wrong reason, which is that people don't like Roseanne. It's like the show is the show.
4: Right, right. It's but
3: not, now, no is there a, her tweets
1: sort of a Roseanne effect in the sense of did that just open up a space? Is there some other show and whether it's for political reasons or not that will sort of like take over what people might have thought were the Roseanne nomination? Here's one thing that I, for myself as a person coming at this, you know, I'm ostensibly a movie person, and our awards sort of calendar is set up in this building momentum kind of a way so that there's Critics Awards, there's the Critics' Choice Awards, the Golden Globe Awards, the SAG Awards, all the things that sort of like get the drumbeat going leading up to the Academy Awards, and some of those award shows also recognize television, the Emmys kind of exists in the calendar off on its own. Like, what is it within the dynamics of sort of Emmy world that creates that sense of momentum that, like, gets a show feeling like it's going to be an inevitable winner? Because it's just the dynamics of the calendar, to me, seem different.
3: I don't even know when the Emmys ever are, so I have no idea. But
4: That's a good question, because everything is between the binging and the once-a-week thing. It, it really is kind of hard to determine. Well, that.
2: I would say television was always kind of considered the younger sibling, the less accomplished sibling, or I didn't even know sibling, but you know what I mean. Television has always been considered kind of less than film,
3: and still, even though everybody says, "Oh, TV is really where it's at now," but film still has prestige that TV doesn't have.
2: Yeah, and I think. Now, as you mentioned earlier, Robert, you drive around town in L.A. at least, and the sides of a bus are now for the Looming Tower. And, you know, there's insecure billboards. And those, I see that more now than I see the campaigning for films. Maybe it's because I'm more cued into that, but I don't think so. I mean, more of that's out there now. So, yes, like the Emmys have kind of stood out in a weird way just timing-wise but now that actually kind of seems to make more sense to me now because I feel like television is in a much more front-running position in terms of breakthroughs and creativity than film is. And maybe it just looks like, all right, well, we're not on a track to lead up to the Oscars. We're not here to usher you into the, the big time. We are the big time. You know, this is our space. <laughs> Mark,
3: isn't? aren't there rules about electioneering and campaigning for Oscars that are... Very much so. ...that are harsher than maybe the Emmy rules are?
1: Well, I don't... I'm sort of uh, new enough to the Emmy space that I don't necessarily know the specifics, although I know the rules were loosened up this year. Glenn Whip was talking about the fact, our awards reporter, about the fact that the... The Emmys allowed multiple events on a single night where they used to have be stricter regulations about that. Even the way Netflix really put on a strong series of events, they took over a local production facility, Raleigh Studios, to put on events. I actually just noticed that at least one of those events, they're posting the Q&As that they hosted on to Netflix like the the conversation that Jerry Seinfeld and David Letterman had. you can watch that conversation on Netflix, and that that seemed to me to be like an interesting sort of like subcategory of campaigning, like using the platform itself
4: to, as a campaign vehicle that I had not previously. It'll be interesting to see if that works for Netflix because usually they have not done well in the Emmy race. I mean, House of Cards and Stranger Things, of course, but by and large, especially compared to what they put out, they haven't done all that well. Well, now on the movie side,
1: it makes sense what the sort of industry and establishment, therefore the Academy's issues with Netflix are, the fact that Netflix is disruptive to traditional exhibition. What's the beef that the TV Academy or that the good people of the television industry would have with streaming platforms with Netflix in particular? And what do you think, Lorraine, last year when Handmaid's Tale won and was the first streaming platform to sort of win a major award, was there some undercurrent of trolling Netflix and Amazon and giving that prize to Hulu?
2: Well, first, can I just backtrack in yeah. terms of Netflix going up with posting their own, what would you say, their own promotional talks for Emmys? Yeah, can you imagine like your Netflix and it's like, we suggest yeah. you watch us promote our shows. Yes, of course. Let me click on that. It's kind of absurd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the trolling. Yeah, I don't.
3: I think that's probably a little conspiracy th- uh, thinking there, Mark.
2: Yeah, I
4: don't think that anyone really was trolling Hulu. I mean, the, the show was just so good. The yeah. Deep State. But is there some reluctance within sort of the television
1: industry towards the streaming platforms? Like, w- considering the volume of content that Netflix creates, why have they not won more major awards than just sheer numbers, it seems like they I should have? I think
3: it's probably the case that certainly in the in the boardrooms of of CBS and NBC and ABC and Fox and probably also HBO and Showtime, Hulu and Netflix and Amazon are not their favorite organizations in the world. As far as people that watch television, the world of television now is an equal playing field where your TV is hooked into everything at once. So HBO and Amazon, I mean, they may be a different sequence of clicks on a remote, but NBC and HBO and Amazon and Hulu and for that matter, YouTube and CBS All Access and whatever else is out there, are all on your television. They're all just there. You know, there's a kind of a psychological divide that you first saw when cable came along, and people really talked about... And they still talk about cable and basic cable and network broadcast television as different entities, and to some extent they are because they play by slightly different rules in terms of language and material and the way they use commercials and have to break for commercials. But for the most part, people just watch TV. I mean, the reason that something like The Handmaid's Tale breaks through is because it's all the same to them. When you hear people talk about television, nobody's specifying what the platform was. They just watch Stranger Things and they loved it and they recommended it to their friends. Or they watch NCIS or Big Bang Theory and love it, but it's all one.
2: It's interesting because I think that historical structure of the networks being king, being the big... Guys on the playing field where there wasn't any other competition, right? There's almost a shadow of that still throughout the Emmys, right? That, you know, people are still kind of operating on that idea, even though everything is so much more diversified now. And I can say that because I came into reviewing things as a TV critic about two years ago. You know, so I'm coming in after streamings happened, after cable explosion. And there's some things I look at where I'm like, why are they still? doing it this way or why, you know, I find it really interesting that that is still structurally kind of like, well, you know, let's, we know that the networks are the main posts here. They're the the tent poles for everything. And they're kind of not anymore.
1: And now we're going to take a
0: short break. We'll be right back to talk more about the Emmys. LA Times supporters include HBO presenting Spielberg. This unprecedented documentary pulls back the curtain on Steven Spielberg and his remarkable career, featuring exclusive interviews with Spielberg, family members, friends, and colleagues. It's a remarkably intimate portrait, combining personal narrative with an in-depth exploration of Spielberg's creative process and craftsmanship, while sharing stories behind some of his most iconic films. Emmy eligible for outstanding documentary special and all other categories. And we're back. But then even within the Emmy
1: space, the dominance of HBO, it seems like they had a period where they were really dominating the Emmys. And even that seems to have sort of waned so much. And so, who, Greg, who would you say is sort of like now in the power position when it comes to Emmys?
4: That's an interesting question because I was going to bring up HBO that you would normally just see something – premiere on HBO like, you know, anything produced by Tom Hanks or their miniseries, and just say, oh, that's a slam dunk for the Emmys. And I don't think they did very well last year. And, you know, They'll have Game of Thrones this year. But in a power position, I don't know who would be in a power position. I think everyone else is just sort of ganged up on HBO. Maybe Showtime may be more in a power position. Billions seems to have gotten a little more steam and people are still into Homeland. But I couldn't predict right now who's going to fill that HBO gap.
3: I want to slightly amend my last position. This is maybe something that Greg can address. When I'm talking about the kind of evenness of that playing field, I think we're talking about people that vote for Emmys and give awards. But if you look at the wider world, broadcast television really is, am I right, that those shows have many more viewers than a typical, even a an important cable show or a streaming show? I mean, Well, so nobody
4: has more viewers than NCIS. It's or, the most watched
3: show in the world, apparently. You know,
4: that show will never win an Emmy. Right. And so does that mean that the
1: kind of shows that win Emmys are analogous to sort of prestige releases on the movie side? That there is a certain kind of prestige, for lack of a better way to put it, Emmy-bait kind of a show that maybe isn't even being broadcast on that network or placed on that platform for the purpose of getting the biggest, broadest audience, but it's kind of there to, like, bring a little shine to the place. I think it's a combination, because, I
3: mean, you look at Jim... Parsons winning year after year after year for Big Bang Theory. I mean, it's, you know, it mixes it up.
1: But now, why is that? What is it with the Emmys and that the fact that there are certain people that just hit the groove and win year after year after year? Is that something that's kind of on the wane?
2: I think it's going to have to be on the way. I mean, I don't think there's really a choice on that. You were asking earlier, are there going to be those shows now, you know, for instance, is The Handmaid's Tale going to be like Veep was, you know, in terms of coming back back? But I think what we're going to see is those cycles are much shorter than they used to be. Modern Family, you know, and it's whatever it was, 15-year stretch. I exaggerate, but you know what I mean. Modern Family and its big, long stretch. I don't know that we're going to be seeing those kind of stretches anymore just because things are moving so much faster and there's so much more. And the bar is really raised in terms of just really excellent, good programming.
3: Also, going to what Lorraine says, personally, and this just may be because of the kind of way we have to watch TV, But and I think it may have something to do with shorter seasons, too, but don't you sort of forget that certain shows are even on in their second season? It's yes. like, absolutely. It's like... They just kind of disappear in a way that, oh, that that show's back. Oh, oh
1: I kind of like but that But now is that or, because the show itself did not hold your attention or it simply got lost in the tide of content? There's too much. And with the shorter season, I mean, one thing about
3: still about broadcast television, although they're, they are shortening a lot of their seasons, is that, you know, they might last for 22 weeks a show. So they're kind of in your consciousness a lot. And when they go away, it's not for as long. But other cable shows, they come back and you just go, and streaming shows, you go, I had totally forgotten that show was on. And look, it's season four. Or
4: or there's a show like Shameless who always, you know, in its 10th or season, which people like it, but I never hear people talking about it. But yet Shameless is always right there in front in the marquee categories for the Emmys. it is. And
3: it's, it's always there. Right. Does that mean that people are watching it or something else?
2: Well, how much do you think it's also about campaigning now, you know, in terms of, you know, like we're talking about seeing the signs everywhere and, you know, this big, much bigger ramp up that we're seeing on the outside. I don't know. How much do you think there is about Emmy campaigning behind the scenes for shows like, say, Shameless or these shows that keep coming back and you're like, oh, right, that's still on.
4: Well, is Baskets doing an event at an Arby's where their shows, you know, their stars show up and give out food? Is that going to get them, you know, is that going to, wow.
3: Well, that Zen yeah, diagram me, yes. crossover of the Arby's patrons and the Emmy voters, <laughs> I think it's going to really hit that sweet spot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Only if Louie Anderson comes as Christine, then I'll go. <laughs> I think he was there, though. Maybe yes, not as he was Christine, there.
1: I want to be sure to ask, somewhat touching on Roseanne that we brought up before, the sort of the revival shows, like, say, like, Will and Grace, Arrested Development, do those shows sort of return to their old, you know, Emmy position? Do they take on some new life? And also, will the sort of the Roseanne effect sort of, like, scratch any of the nostalgia shows just kind of from the board? I can totally see
3: Will and Grace doing well. People like those people and it's a happy memory and the show's doing well as far as I know and I can certainly see them being a contender.
1: And I want to be sure to to take a little time to have all of you kind of stump for some favorites. And I want to hear, you know, some shows that you would like to see get some Emmy shine. Robert, is there anything in particular that you would really be stumping for?
3: Sure. Well, as uh, I was speaking to you earlier, Mark, I do think that all awards shows that are based on subjective judgments are nonsense, uh, because they're all always wrong, and therefore they're never really right. And I don't think it's a matter of snubbing, which is a weird conspiracy theory that papers like to press. But... This year, there is uh, one thing that the Academy has done is it's kind of opened up its short-form categories. These are never a part of the broadcast, but literally for these are things that are online they have to be under 15 minutes but there's no minimum length so they need to be six episodes so you could do a six second series that technically would be eligible for the an emmy and this year because they started they had opened last year i think actor categories Megan Amram who's a comedian had created an online show called an emmy for Megan which is just her plumping for an emmy for six episodes. It's really good. So anyway, I hope she wins in that category. And then I just, you know, like Acorn TV, which is a small streaming outfit. They have a show called Detectorists, which is eligible this year. It's oh, one of my favorite shows of the last million years. It's a British show created and directed and written and starring Mackenzie Crook, who people probably know as a pirate with a weird eye from the parts of the Caribbean movies. And he was the original office weirdo in the british version of the office the part that rain wilson played here it's just a beautiful show it's a pastoral comedy about time and past and future and men and women who walk around in the fields of britain with metal detectors looking for Saxon gold so they're top of my list and also schitt's creek i'd like to see get a lot of nominations and now people seem to know that show and it's fourth season it's because it's on netflix it's got a lot of fans now so actually it's that's even possible
1: I have never heard of... Detectorists. Nor have I ever heard of Acorn TV. There you go. Exactly my point. (laughs) Lorraine, do you have any special favorites?
2: I just want to see Insecure get more love. It's so good. And yes, people have talked about it. It's not like it's this hidden thing that nobody... But Issa Rae is standout. I mean, she, just in terms of... Issa Rae is just amazing, and I, I feel like she gets passed over all the time, and I feel like Insecure kind of gets pushed behind, you know, uh, Master of None or Atlanta or, you know, oh, look, it's kind of like Girls, but it's not. It's its own show, and it's also L.A., and I love it for that.
3: And a part of L.A. that doesn't usually get on television.
2: Exactly. A part of L.A. that doesn't usually get on television, the relationship between friends, women, black women that doesn't usually get on television— so many things that don't usually get on television and done so well. I want to see that get a lot more love than it's gotten because I don't think it's gotten any, has it? Just in terms of, I'd love The Detectorist, too. But
1: now The Detectorist, that competes in what category? No, the the um, weirdo category. Yeah, it would be a comedy. So it would yeah. be in, the, like, again, as you were saying earlier, Lorraine. So it would just be. Right it competes against Modern Family and Atlanta. It's in
3: that category and it will never win. But that's, right, yeah. But then again, just let me say, that is not how we judge quality in our jobs or our lives. Lorraine was a, a music critic for many, many years. And the Grammys, for years, the disjunction between what was up for Grammy Awards and what good music and interesting music was, was like
2: crazy. Yeah, and Greg and I can have this argument all day, but when Adele won over Beyonce the don't, Lemonade year, let's not get there. into it, Greg. Don't go there. I was livid. <laughs> And Greg thought it was okay. But you know what? That was an example of the Grammys. And even Adele was like, What? No, this isn't mine. But so, now, what's the Emmy
1: equivalent of that? Like, does, like when, you know, <laughs> when <laughs> anything but the when? Okay. I comedy. would say I'm going to get, or I'm going to get like
2: jumped on for this. But this is us. To me, is Adele. And. Oh, wow. Yes. No, nah, I. I well, w- you like Adele, though. Okay. But I don't like.
1: Speak on it, Lorraine, a little more.
2: Okay, so I think this is why we need more categories. Number he one, he
3: feels like you're dissing Adele here. I think is that Greg's problem. With I am, analogy. yes, I not, am. Not with it's a
2: double subtweet. <laughs> the double subtweet. It's like Adele sonic wallpaper versus you know something that is really innovative right. and breakthrough, but also on a mainstream level, which was Lemonade. Okay, so I will say, like, if you're looking at, I'm looking at this year possibly This Is Us and The Crown. Okay, The Crown. Was amazing in many ways, and it was its second season. And they still managed to like do this incredibly rich second season that I feel it like was just as compelling as the first one. This is Us is fine, but I think it kind of follows a template that we've seen a lot, but again. We're working on a lot of old rules here of, like, there's got to be a feel-good network show, you know, that we kind of look at that follows some of the same sitcom rules that we've, you know, dramas, serial dramas we've seen in the past. So, I don't know. I'm not making this argument very well. But do you know what I mean? Sure. I feel like there's those kind of situations. But this is why TV is so difficult right now, right? Because the Detector is, is great and nobody knows about it, Right. And then, you know, I'm trying to think of something that's not very good that may... Should I not? I won't say it. Greg <laughs> will get me you, out of you, me. You
4: already lost me at Sonic <laughs> Wallpaper, <laughs> so. Okay, wait. No, The
2: Marvelous Miss Maisel. Okay? I think it's not good. hmm I reviewed it. I did not like it. And that is where the detectorists should win. But that's not... See? No.
1: Now, Greg, what would you stump for? Adele. I would... We'll talk later, Lorraine. Well, she
4: has her special on, her variety special. <laughs> I would really like The Americans to get some love this time around. I also think Billions, which has never broken through, had a really good second season. The show I would also really like to see, and I think it might do well, it might be a sleeper, is Killing Eve.
1: Hmm.
4: It was on BBC America, which I think is an exceptional show just has all the great acting lots of violence but lots of humor and i think that might be a sleeper and if i'm not mistaken built
3: its audience like week to week in a kind of historical fashion yes
1: and now does that matter like do you think with killing eve in particular i would think that sense of momentum the way in which that show has sort of grown and built itself will that help it with its emmy chance i I think
4: it might be like the handmaid's table of of this year Because I think Handmaid's also built like that. Yeah. Because another thing I was curious about is within sort of like
1: the campaigning space, the real example of this is the series Glow, that they are sort of doing their Emmy promotion for their first season in tandem with promoting their second season. And is that something that's kind of specific to the release schedule of Netflix series? Like, it seems like it's a real benefit to them. And is that dynamic something that's new? Maybe it just, but there's a Netflix series coming on every six seconds.
3: So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how we could. It's a smart strategy. It is. it is. That is true.
1: But now, before we wrap up, Lorraine, I'm sorry, I have to ask tell me more about why you do not like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It's a show that my sense is that there's a lot of affection for it. And so I'm, I'm intrigued to know what you do not like about it.
2: I felt that it was very heavy on the kind of kitschy nostalgia of a Mad Men-type era, you know, a little bit later, as I remember. And it was New York in that time, and it looked kind of almost a little too kitschy. It was a little too, like, technicolor in a way. And I thought it lacked the substance to, you know, kind of carry out the idea of looking at the early Lenny Bruce comedy circuit. I thought, you know, there's some excellent people in it. I just thought that it the way it was executed, it almost just relied too much on cutesy nostalgia and some old also kind of New York... Stereotypes that I felt like just weren't very explored. I think it's very overrated. Greg, do you have thoughts
1: on that program?
4: Um, I would disagree with the rain, <laughs> as usual. As that's where I'll just leave it. I, I would say <laughs> just the opposite. Uh. It's the Adele of Mad Men type comedies, which will
2: go on and live for years. It's not a Beyonce, it's an Adele, and I agree with you on that. Well,
1: I found it so intriguing that the, you know, the force behind that show, Amy Sherman Palladino, that for all the other programs that she's had, Gilmore Girls, the much beloved Bunheads, that her only Emmy nomination is way back when, when she was a writer on the original Roseanne – and so it, seem, it will be interesting to see, like, if, if she does get some nominations this year, it seems like there'll be sort of like an interesting sort of cyclical thing to that. It seems not impossible,
3: but...
4: How do you think Twin knows? Peaks is going to do?
3: Oh, Twin Peaks. Let's talk about that. That was one of the great events of this year in television. It was amazing. And uh, I'm sorry, I forgot to say anything about it. Um, but is I don't it for think it was, the Emmys? No. <laughs> 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 it's, a weird, it's a weird-ass show. But a work of art, bizarre, hard to parse in, in many times often, but made with incredible intention and skill and in a way that other people do not make television at all. It looks At times that show looks like it's being made by people that don't know what they're doing, which to me is a great quality. I've always appreciated that in all art.
2: The other thing I think, you know, when we're talking about categories, I, I think they need to just have one category dedicated to superhero series. Now Because right now, <laughs> second, because Black Lightning is so good and it's not going to get any love anywhere because it's a superhero series. And, you know, genre
4: has always struggled.
2: Yes. and But there's so much good stuff out now. And I think that that I, needs I to be recognized. I don't think Emmy
4: voters even have the CW on their sets. They can't even receive it. How
3: did Stranger Things do uh, Emmy-wise? I don't have no idea.
4: It did well. It got a lot of nominations.
3: did. But yeah, usually genre, you know, has always been a struggle to get awards in movies and in television.
4: I've always thought that The Walking Dead, I know how people feel about it, but in writing and acting and everything, I think it's a show with very, very high quality, which also is hugely popular and will never get a single nomination.
1: And with that, we're going to wrap up this chapter in my continued education in the Emmys. Why don't you tell people where they can find you online, Robert?
3: in the L.A. Times at latimes.com and at the very heart to remember, L.A.
2: Times TV
3: Lloyd at Twitter.
2: Lorraine? On Twitter, I'm just Lorraine Ollie. Greg? And I'm G- at G.E. Braxton
4: and also president of the Adele Fan Club if you want to <laughs> reach <laughs> me there. You
1: can find him there. And for L.A. Times Studios on The Real, I'm Mark Olson. Thanks for listening. Hi.